today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verse 57 to 67. Here is the word of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zachariah after his father. But his mother said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, None of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he spoke this prophecy. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I just realized that I usually have a stool because, you know, I'm short and people might not be able to see me. But I think, I think it's okay. All right. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts together this morning be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. You are our rock and redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had a situation in Japan when you ask something and the other person says, hmm, um, that is difficult. Usually like touching their foreheads with their hands like this, you know, just kind of like tilting down. If you lived in Japan for a while, you know what this really means, right? It actually means no. Back in seminary, in my intercultural communication class, I learned that there are at least 20 different ways the Japanese people express no, most through implication. 
right? This means that people do not usually say the word no in Japan, but will do many different things to indicate or suggest that their answer is actually no. Of course, this can be really confusing for people who are unfamiliar with all the various indirect ways of saying no in Japan. For people who come from cultures when your, I, your yes means yes and your no means no, it can be very confusing. But is this an issue that we see just in communicating with modern Japanese people? Maybe not. Because after all, in the book of Matthew, it says, simply let yes be yes and no be no. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. So we know that this issue is not a new one by any means. Today, I want to talk about someone in the scripture who said no. That is the mother of John the Baptist, Elizabeth. The birth of John the Baptist is a part of the Christmas story that we often touch on briefly during the Advent season, being contrasted with the conception and birth of birth story of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was born to his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of who were descended from the priestly families, the families of people who served in the temple and in the sanctuary for God's people. In modern terms, you could say that they came from generations of pastors. The scripture says of them that they were both righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 6. Zechariah and Elizabeth were known as godly people, people who did the right things and followed God's rules and lived up to the expectations set upon them by their priestly families. But within their faith community, they were not considered truly blessed because they did not have children. At the time, being unable to have children was considered a sort of disgrace. Despite being right and blameless in the eyes of God, they were not given that kind of blessing that the community will perceive as God's blessing and grace. They were getting old, so they, may, they might have given up becoming parents. But one day, when Zechariah was serving and offering incense in the sanctuary, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him, that Elizabeth would bear a son, and that they would name him John. The angel explained to him what his son John would do for God and God's people. The angel told Zechariah that his son John would be given important work for God, that John would turn the hearts of parents to the children, and they disobedient to the wisdom of righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Zechariah will have a son, and his son will be given a purpose, a call to serve God. This might sound all amazing story to, to any of us, an announcement from the divine about the miraculous life that is to be born to us. But because of their old age, Zechariah could not believe what the angel has said. He asked, how will I know that this is so? For I am old, and my wife is getting on in years. Luke chapter 1, verse 18. 
Because of Zechariah's disbelief like this, the angel muted him, making him unable to speak until he witnessed the birth of his child with his own eyes. Moving forward, against all the odds, just as an angel said, Elizabeth got pregnant. Elizabeth was overjoyed and shared that joy was Mary, her cousin, and who was pregnant with the baby Jesus at the time. They spent time together and praised God and both having the unique experience of being blessed with an unexpected pregnancy announced by the angel of the Lord. Then the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. Knowing that Elizabeth had been barren, and knowing the suffering that came from that barrenness, Elizabeth's friends and family rejoiced with her at the birth of her child. And here, you can see the real goodness of the community she was part of. Even though at the time, they fully believed that her barrenness had been a sign of God's disgrace to her and her family, that it was some, some sort of some deep and unknown sin, the community did not abandon her. Instead, they remained with them, remained with her and Zechariah, and mourned with them and sharing in their suffering. Now that disgrace was lifted, they joined them in rejoicing at the birth of their son. But even in this time of great communal celebration, there was a challenge for Elizabeth and Zechariah to face. On the eighth day after the birth of this child, Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives gathered together for the ritual circumcision of this child. Like baptism is for us today, this ritual was a time where the whole community came together in joy to celebrate the acceptance of this child as a member of their community of faith. The tradition, of course, would be to name the firstborn son after his father, Zechariah, too. To honor God and to honor the father in doing that was something which was expected, something understood. And the people who surrounded them, these people who had seen Elizabeth in her barrenness, stayed with her throughout and rejoiced with her at the wondrous turnaround God had brought about in their lives. They expected that Elizabeth and Zechariah would name this child, their child, in the way the culture and tradition suggested. Knowing well the kindness and goodness of the community, of her community, Elizabeth might have felt bad about what she had to do next. She might even have felt scared. But there was a truth to be told from God. Elizabeth said, no. He is to be called John. We don't know how Elizabeth heard about the need to call her child John from God. Zechariah received the verbal instruction from the angels about this, but Elizabeth was not there when that happened. Maybe Zechariah wrote down what he heard for her somehow. Or maybe it was the Holy Spirit who spoke to her and shared what had been said to Zechariah. We don't know. But the bottom line is that when it came down to it, she spoke up. Despite all the reasonable expectations and suggestions and implications of her community, she stood firm and said, No, 
he's to be called John. What must have this felt like for Elizabeth? Especially given that her husband had been muted and she knew she could not rely on her husband, any verbal support from him. Did she even know that her husband also fully intended on naming the child John? And it's also not like their friends and family had mean on self mean or self had selfish motivations. They were not necessarily pushing their own personal agendas after all. It's just that naming a child, especially the firstborn male child after the father on the day of circumcision was what was normal. It was what had been done in their community from generation to generation. It's just the way things were done. The community reminded Elizabeth of this tradition gently saying to her that none of your relatives has this name. Luke chapter 1, verse 61. In saying this, of course, they're really just suggesting, implying that she should choose a family name like Zechariah. By the way, isn't this a totally Japanese way of indirectly indicating something? <laughs> and just like in modern Japanese society, it mustn't be easier for her to go, just go with the flow and do what the vocal majority suggested. It would be easy. It would make sense. It would not have to cause conflict. If she just did what everyone wanted her to do, things could be easier. But that was not what Elizabeth decided to do. She kept to what she was told by God to do instead. The assembled family and friends couldn't believe that she was breaking tradition in this way, so they took their concerns to Zechariah and asked him what he thought. Still unable to speak, he asked for a writing tablet to bring in, and he wrote on it clearly and plainly, his name is John. This remark was even more assertive than what Elizabeth had said. In this, he declared the name of the child had already been decided, a decision made long before by a higher authority. This name, John, means in the Greek, God is gracious. And in this moment, all of them were amazed. The scripture don't tell us what they were amazed at, though. Maybe they were amazed at how a name like John came about despite no one in the family having that name. Or perhaps they were amazed that both Elizabeth and Zechariah had the exact same name in mind with complete certainty, despite not being able to communicate with each other. Whatever it was that they were amazed at, something even more amazing happened. Right then, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue was freed, and at last he began to speak. And the first thing that came out from his mouth was not an effort to convince them of the rightness in naming this child John. No, it was praise for God. So now, after all this, everyone is agreed that the child's name should be John. See, God's way of bringing people together in their thoughts and actions rarely happens in the way we expect, doesn't it? 
It's not really about following along with what had been done just because it is what has been done in the past. Nor is it about the great struggle to convince others of those things you strongly believe. Instead, this story shows us how people are brought together when they listen to God. And not just when they listen to God, but when they share with each other what is that God has said. Moreover, the story shows us how people come together when they listen to what others have to say as well. But perhaps most importantly, this story shows what happens when you take the time to ponder, to discern, and to think about what you have heard. God was at work in Zechariah's doubtful heart, helping him to keep the faith. God was at work in Elizabeth's heart, giving her the boldness and courage to stand her ground in pressuring male-dominated society and say with conviction that this child is to be called John. God was at work in the hearts and minds of Elizabeth's relatives and friends and neighbors who were so completely sure that this child must be named for his father because of tradition, but instead became open to the new ways in which God was speaking and acting among them. This is what happens when God is at work in our own hearts and our minds. We became able to let go of those things that we, had, we hold so tightly and inflexibly in our hearts and minds to which keep us from moving closer to God. Whether it's doubt, fear, tradition, our own personal beliefs about what is right or good or what to do next in the community, when God is at work within us, we can let go of these heavy things and make room for God to be at work in and among us again. And when we do that, we open the door to even greater possibilities, bigger dreams and farther visions, all which come about because we embrace openness, eagerness, and a willingness to listen more. Near the end of today's story, after all their amazement, listening and pondering, those neighbors and relatives ask, what then will this child become? Luke 1, verse 66. You see, if they had remained the same and limited people, stuck in their ways, rooted in their tradition, they could never have asked this question. Since John had been born into a priestly family and priesthood was a family business, so to speak, they never would have even thought to ask the question because of course John would be a priest just like his father Zechariah. But when they embraced what God was doing in and among them, when they let go of their expectations and deeply held beliefs, they opened themselves up to a much larger vision, to questions and ideas they never would have considered before. So how is today's reading speaking to us today? Here are some questions for us to ponder this morning. 
Uh, the areas in our lives where we are holding on so strongly to our own firmly held beliefs and traditions and where we have not yet fully invited God to enter in. Maybe we're hesitant to let God into our financial lives, afraid that God's radical and uncustomary ways will put our finances at risk. Maybe we are afraid of letting God into, uh, enter into a relationship and knowing we'll be called to love more radically and forgive more completely than we are comfortable with. Maybe it's the future because if we open that up to God, then how will we know what's coming next? What kind of sacrifice, sacrifice we have to make? What kind of risk will we have to take? And what kind of patience will we have to practice to follow God? Are there doubts and fears and long-held beliefs about what should be done uh, preventing us from listening, pondering, and wondering what God could and want to be doing in our lives? Are we saying yes to things that are just human traditions, ideas, and plans, and in doing so, maybe saying no, saying no to God's? Are we listening to God or are we just giving God many of our own requests instead? Do we yield to the many requests of the people around us, giving everyone what they want regardless whether it's good or godly thing to do? Or do we pause and ponder, considering how God might be at work right in front of our eyes, taking the time to reflect and entertain the possibility that it might be our own personal agenda or those of others rather than God's divine will which should be guiding us. And of course, we should ask ourselves these questions, take time to pose and ponder whether when it comes to our church life as well. Do we let our fears and doubts and strongly held convictions keep us rooted to past traditions, dominating our hearts and blinding us to the possibilities of the future? Or do we have the openness that Elizabeth's relatives and neighbors showed as they were transformed through God's active spirit into a people who could look beyond their expectation and ask, what will this child become? Instead of asking, what will happen to our church? Have we ever thought to ask, what will our church become? When we ponder what we could become, we start to embrace growth and ongoing transformation. When we let go and let God, we find that God has a power to unite all of our hearts and minds. When we accept that no from the world, we embrace a yes from God, and we become a transformed people who are able to start looking ahead to greater works of God on the horizon, greater ideas and possibility that we could never have imagined before. So let us all look to today's story in opening ourselves up to how God might speak to us. Let us become a people who can ask 
What will we become together? And when we do that, we will hear mute voices speak, filled with the Holy Spirit, and telling us that grace of God has already come to us all. Let us pray. Dear God, we come to you confessing our strong desire to hold on to our doubts, fears, and pride, our possessions, our own expectations, our plans, and our opinions. Lord, we are sorry and have mercy on us. Please help us to listen, to be open to your guidance and direction, and obedient both in all areas of our lives and the life of our church community. May your will will be done. 